It's only entertainment. Welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. With me today, Nick Warrender. He is the CEO, the founder, CEO of Lifted Made. Nick, thanks for being with us at The Talking Hedge. Pleasure. Thank you, Josh. Glad to be here. So founded in 2014, Lifted Made, a leading manufacturer of hemp-derived and non-hemp-derived products under its flagship brand, Herb Finest Flowers and Silly Shroom. And then in February 2020, you guys became a wholly owned subsidiary of a publicly traded uh, Lyft brand, uh, Lifted Partners, available on the OTC, publicly traded uh, LIFD, is a ticker symbol. Uh, how did it all get started? What's, what's, the, uh, what's the story? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I grew up playing basketball. That was like my first love and uh, had the fortunate success of playing throughout the country, playing with guys that ended up in the NBA and Division One basketball. And when I was 16, I actually got abducted uh, in Belize. And through that experience, um, I became very ill and I turned to CBD. And at the time, it was brand new. You didn't really hear about it. It was super expensive. I'd used cannabis throughout uh, my experience of, of being sick. And that was really the one thing that was helping with, you know, pain and mental clarity. And, and CBD was a really good supplement for me to still be able to get through school and, you know, be more functional. And uh, as I was getting out of college and, and I had personal, personally good experience with CBD, I was like, you know, this is, this is what I want to do. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I only got 900 bucks, but you know, everybody's got to start somewhere. So uh, built out a small 10 by 10 clean room at my parents' house. Um, it was a little warehouse. We called it the barn and we made our first batch it was no more than a hundred bottles and started going to, you know, the local vape shops and uh, rinse and repeat. Right. So for the first few years, it was just me um, and started hiring out a few guys to help in production so I could get out and sell more and just kind of snowballed into this national brand. Uh, today, we've got over 150 employees. Uh, we've done it all with internal working capital. So, you know, we've had to learn what does distribution in this industry look like? What are consumers looking for? How do we price these products? And how do we differentiate ourselves in a market that has low barrier to entry? So uh, it's been quite the journey as a person, as an entrepreneur, uh, very humbling experience, uh, a lot of wins, a lot of losses. And you know, just riding that wave of new emerging industries, new entrepreneurship, and, you know, really living out the American dream. So, you know, we're super blessed here in Wisconsin. Uh, we're fortunate to have been an innovator in the space for a lot of years and really kind of created a formula that um, is duplicatable to get products in the market, get consumers feedback and continue to, to move the industry forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting story. I, I kind of got into cannabis. I wanted to, um, I wanted to play in the NFL, but that was never going to happen. I didn't know that in junior high, but I went to an all male high school just because I wanted to there. I wanted to be in their sports program, so very dedicated, focused. Wanted to do my thing, and then broke my shoulder uh, right before college. I was going to have, um, you know, scholarship and all of that, and, and totally changed my life uh, completely. Uh, my view about the medical system and stoners and jocks and everything, because like 180 completely changed. I thought people who use cannabis were um, just lazy stoners. I, I don't know what they were smoking at the time, but 
maybe it was just their personalities or whatever else. I'm curious, you know, obviously CBD helped you. Um, was it for pain? Was it for PTSD? I can only imagine, I don't know your story, your abduction story at all, but I can only imagine it's multifaceted from the pain and the sickness, both physical and mental. And it was CBD something that, that helped you through all of those ailments. Maybe you could kind of briefly touch on, uh, yeah. on this cannabinoid that really kind of just drove your entire career. Yeah. So between CBD and, and THC, it really was a combination of total body pain and inflammation, um, but also the PTSD and, you know, the loss of my first love, which you can appreciate. Uh, basketball was a hundred percent of my life and, and physical activity was as well. So losing both of those was like, okay, now I need to, to figure out what my purpose is in life. And I need to try to get back to, you know, some sort of equilibrium homeostasis of, of being healthy to, you know, pursue something different. So, um, you know, I got into arts through college because I wasn't able to be physically active. And as I learned more about entrepreneurship and business, I learned more that, you know, it's like a sport. Um, and this is really like the closest thing that I can find to expand on the talents and, and the lessons that I learned through sports and put them to use into something that will have a positive outcome. Um, so yeah, I mean, cannabis for me was multifaceted relief that really helped not only my headspace, but my body heal and get back to a place where, you know, I can kind of restart as a human being and, uh, refocus talents and, and willpower on what the next phase of my life looked like. When you started in 2014, I had first, it took me about another year to, to hear about CBD. In 2015, I had a one-to-one CBD to THC ratio. I think it was Blue Dream specifically. And I was blown away just by the euphoric, energetic, uplifting effect that it had. Um, when, you know, when you kind of throw that entourage effect together, I feel like it's a little bit behind the times in terms of, um, you know, adding or compounding uh, cannabinoids together. Um, maybe maybe people just kind of are looking for that THC high. I don't know, but I really like either the salves that have CBG and CBD and THC, whatever, um, seems to be um, more, more holistic for me and the inflammation and things that I need specifically. And I'm curious with the pricing that has come down since 2014, you mentioned CBD was really expensive. I think it was... Um, like $18,000 a kilo, I want to say back then. And it's like 800 or, or even less couple hundred bucks. Now CBG or CB, um, you know, CBN is not naturally occurring. Um, but, uh, you know, CBL, some of those that are so really expensive. Have you decided, have you thought about switching to more expensive cannabinoids? Maybe can I talk about the, the, the progression and uh, how, how cheap things have gotten, um, with CBD specifically, and then any other cannabinoids you're thinking about? Yeah. Uh, I think when I first got into CBD, it was upwards of 25,000 a kilo, you know, so, uh, like 500 milligram tincture was 80 bucks, 90 bucks for a consumer. So it's been good to see pricing come down. So it's more accessible. Um, but you know, one thing that I really was studying throughout this process was what does natural cannabis really look like and, and how was it originally designed? Uh, there's been so much genetic modification done, particularly in the THC industry that is like, how can we get the highest amount of C THC? And 
didn't look at, well, what's going to happen if we decrease these other cannabinoids? And as a consumer going back, I don't know, I've used cannabis longer in my life than I haven't. Um, I've seen a huge change over the last 10 years and how it's affected me personally. So um, our company is really focused on creating formulations with multiple cannabinoids that are more specific to what a consumer's effect is going to be. And that can be, you know, cheap CBD isolate. That's a couple hundred bucks a kilo. And then you're starting to talk about THCP and THCV and a lot of other cannabinoids uh, that are upwards of hundred thousand dollars a kilo. So we look at a balance between how do we formulate to be more specific on effect? And then how do we also do it that's economical so that people can get it in their hands and actually use these products. Can you explain the difference between D8 and HHC? Yeah, they're from an effect standpoint, there's a pretty drastic difference. Um, HHC for me personally is a little more on like the Delta nine effect, uh, particularly from, you know, the side effects. So I still feel like a pretty rapid come down on HHC. Um, there's a little anxiety, uh, you know, from, from experience with HHC, uh, Delta eight is a much more clear headed, uh, euphoric feeling. It's lighter. Um, HHC is, is very similar to, to Delta nine in my experience. Um, so, you know, I'm a huge advocate for Delta eight personally, um, from a business perspective, that's different, but, you know, Delta eight for me has replaced Delta nine entirely. Um, I, I rarely use Delta nine anymore. I just, I, I, I think I feel better on Delta eight. Um, I'm more efficient. I can get more done. I'm more productive. Um, so yeah, I mean, they're, they're pretty drastically different cannabinoids. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned THCP. That's something that came out a couple of years ago or that was, um, I think it was January of 2020 that uh, that was announced and that's supposed to um, increase the intensity. If I'm, if I'm not mistaken, very similar to like THCO uh, which is an acetate that some companies are using because of uh, issues with viscosity. So I know that a project I was working on with an inhaler, asthmatic inhaler unit, they needed to use THCO uh, in order for it to not clog, which ended up not working, which is why one of the reasons why you don't see it on the shelf a, it was too expensive, $120 for hundred milligram unit. Uh, and it wasn't, um, it, it, you couldn't rely on it. It wasn't dependable because it would clog. Um, mm-hmm. but it, it does kind of, um, bring up the, the idea or concept that THCO could be useful, even though it also is not naturally occurring. Do you know the differences between THCO and THCP? I, I can't speak to it. It's above my pay grade, but I'm wondering if you can. Yeah. Um, so I would say like you have Delta eight, which is pretty light uh, THCO, which in my experience is about three times stronger THCP. Um, you're, you're talking a compound strength difference. Um, I've worked with pure THCP. It's incredibly strong. Um, it seems to be like tolerance proof and the duration of the effect is, you know, it goes from a half an hour or 20 minutes with Delta eight, you know, maybe an hour with THCO. And now you're talking five plus hours with THCP at a pure state. 
so it's it's substantially stronger and it, it definitely extends the duration of the effects. So it's really good to use from a blending perspective. But you know, most companies that are using THCP are functioning less than 1% in their overall formula. Um, and I think that has to do with one, just how strong it is and also how expensive it is. You know, it's, it's upwards of a hundred thousand a kilo. Hmm. So I won't be buying any of that anytime soon. Um, but THCO, there is some, um, some backlash, or I guess, some there's some folks who don't really appreciate that because of the fact that it hasn't been studied for, I mean, cannabis in general hasn't really, but there's no, there's no studies, zero studies on, on humans or any other mammals uh, that I could find. Um, and I'm curious if, if you have uh, a strong opinion, if, if you're uh, for or against it or whatever, um, if you have any opinion with regards to the way that it's made. So there's some, some issues um, in the sense that uh, acetating cannabis to make it stronger sounds great, um, you know, and in that whole pharmacokinetics process, but the, the issue when it, when it involves, um, uh, what is it, uh, anhydride, it's a highly corrosive um, and, and caustic solvent that can create dangerous reactions and chemicals when used together. Do you have any opinion about the process in which THCO is made? Um, I mean, I can certainly get you further information. We work with some of the top chemists in the country. Um, one thing that's important for us is cleanliness of oil that we're using, right? Um, be it THCO or Delta-8 or CBD or anything, um, it's super important to be testing for not only solvents, but reagents. And that's something that, that we do and our labs do. So we know that any input material we're using is very, very clean and it's, and it's safe. So THCO is a great cannabinoid. It has amazing effects. It's very clean. The oil that we get, most of the oil in the marketplace is very, very clean. And these are true PhD chemists that are working on these. These aren't you know, backyard bathtub made cannabinoids. There's extremely smart scientists that are working on these cannabinoids. And uh, the testing is way beyond even what we're seeing in, in the, the medical marijuana industry for these type of cannabinoids. Um, I know there's an issue with, you know, it being naturally occurring, but we don't have uh, advanced test, testing standards to even know, is there a strain that could have THCO in it? Um, has there been effects from cultivation over the last 15, 20 years that has genetically modified plants? You know, again, I think it comes back to like, what was, what was natural cannabis? And I think it was a combination of a lot more cannabinoids than we see available on the market. So, you know, I'd love to see more uh, testing standards come to fruition. I'd love to see um, more genetics come to fruition that are more geared towards full spec cannabinoids that, you know, perhaps maybe some of these cannabinoids are naturally occurring and we just don't know it yet, or we can't test for it. What's your opinion about the future of edibles? Is it going to be THCO or THCP? Um, there's issues that, you know, nanotech was trying to resolve, which is to uh, speed up that process. 
in order so that people wouldn't take an edible, wait 45 minutes to take another one. And then bam, they got the heart palpitations and the, the quintessential OD story. Uh, from, from your standpoint, your perspective, what's going to be the future of edibles? What cannabinoids are going to reduce that OD effect or issue? Um, I think that's like a twofold question. I think it does come down to what does future compliance look like? Um, as a manufacturer, I think it's our responsibility to properly dose these things. We're not an advocate for hundred plus milligram gummies. Um, we don't feel like it's responsible. We are moving towards microdosing products too, that, you know, can be used sublingually and are going to have a faster onset. There's also secondary ingredients like lecithin that helps absorption rates and helps faster onset. So I think faster onset is definitely important. Um, but I think future compliance and regulations is going to kind of sway where manufacturers go. Um, if there is limitations on milligram strengths, I think bioavailability, I think nanotechnology is going to become more relevant. The technology is there. Um, there's just a disconnect between what uh, distributors, retailers, and consumers perceive value, right? So right now it's the higher the strength, the more valuable. And it's hard to slide in something that's a tenth of the milligrams and say, there's technology behind this where you're going to get similar effects and be able to carry over that value from an economic standpoint. So, um, you know, we're trying to find like a very happy middle ground where we're responsibly dosing edibles. We're using secondary ingredients to improve efficacy and, we're working at scale to get our costs down to be able to offer products that are more responsibly dosed, but can still compete with where the market is headed, which is small count, very strong edibles. And I think that's where, you know, consumers get in trouble because you think I, I'm only going to eat one. If it's 150 milligram gummy, you know, you're, you're going to have a wild ride for the next few hours. So we just want to make sure that we're leveraging technology, but we're able to educate the marketplace that this is a responsible thing to do. It can still be at a great price point to where it's accessible for consumers, um, but we want to be responsible. It's super important to be responsible as an industry, particularly when we're in a self-regulation phase. Speaking of regulations, compliance is a pretty significant portion to the cannabis industry being, you know, hemp CBD focused. Uh, I mean, you're publicly traded, so you're dealing with a lot more compliance than many other companies. I would like to know a little bit more about that process of, of the bootstrap to fundraising to actual being publicly traded. What did that process look like? Um, you went public in probably one of the worst times in, in recent memory, uh, right before the, the collapse. So it was good timing on your part. Uh, but wonder about the whole process and, and maybe you can walk us through what that was like. There's a lot of people that were raising capital early on in 24, uh, 2014 who are no longer here. Many, many people uh, who didn't make it. And yet you did and you survived the, um, the pandemic. Walk us through that process. And what was it like to initially raise capital? Was it seed funding, family, friends round? What, what was that from start to finish? Um, yeah, so... It was pretty simple. Uh, I started with 900 bucks and we never took on any outside capital. Even when we went public um, beyond like the, the merger and the consideration for the merger, there wasn't working capital 
through that process either. So we really had to learn how to add value to the marketplace and how to grow organically, which I think was when it came down to these really hard times, um, it was a big benefit for us. I think we had a huge advantage because we really had to learn how to add value to the marketplace and how to turn that into revenue and how to turn those into profits and how to protect every dollar that came in because it was, it was ours. Um, so, you know, the pandemic hit and CBD tanked, um, pretty much all of our retailers shut down and we sold hand sanitizer for the next three months. We retooled all of our manufacturing. We didn't lay off anybody. Um, we just kind of kept constantly had our ear to the ground is what's the market asking for? And if it's CBD today or CBG tomorrow or Delta eight, or if it's something like hand sanitizer, you know, it's, you have to be flexible and be able to pivot to where the market shifts, even if it's totally out of your typical scope of work. Um, so we've carried that same lean mentality, even throughout scaling up to, you know, the amount of employees we have now over 150 uh, to say, look, guys, we can only look so far ahead. Uh, we know where the market is today. This is where we believe the market should go. And that's where we've invested our money. Um, but it's very difficult to raise capital right now. Um, I mean, we're in a capital raise phase uh, really for the first time as a public company beyond money that was raised prior to me being a part of it. And this industry is like a black sheep. You know, we've, we're putting up great numbers. We're putting up great profits, positive EPS, everything you would look for, for a healthy company. And even we're having trouble raising money. So I, I couldn't imagine being in a position where you had to raise capital just to continue. Um, and I think that's why we've seen a lot of companies go out of business or go under is because they were in a position where it was raise money or die. And fortunately for us, we started very small and we had to learn kind of that scrappy grind. And we've continued to take that as we've scaled it to say, let's protect the money in the bank. Um, let's move fast and, and move, move nimble, but also be conservative. And uh, we don't know what tomorrow holds. So our approach has been a little bit different, particularly as a public company in this space, because it hasn't been like a raise money to grow type mentality. It's just been, you know, some small town Midwestern guys that are not afraid to put the work in and, and really get out there and grind. You mentioned the differentiator or, or what you thought was your value. And I'm curious what that is, because there's so many CBD companies out there and it seems like what they're offering is either just a difference in branding or that they say their products are just better. You see a lot of cannabis people, they're like, oh, our, you know, we got the fire and that's, that's their product <laughs> differentiation. What's, how do you bring value? So we're, we're a brand that manufactures our own products. And I know that might sound like, well, isn't everybody manufacturing their products, but um, no, they're actually not. So we, we only use a few co-packers from the edibles side and we manufacture a lot of stuff in house. So for us, it's been first to market on a lot of innovative things. And that's really helped kind of catapult our, our name and continue to build the brand equity. And we're really design focused um, from a brand and perspective. So innovative packaging, um, 
and everything that goes along with that from a marketing perspective. So, you know, new formulations that the market hasn't seen that are highly effective, coupled with, you know, really innovation brand, innovative branding and something that pops off the shelf. And then of course, getting to scale to be price competitive. So a lot of this was, you know, not like an overnight thing, but it took a lot of years to build deep distribution connections, build that trust with distributors to the point where if we launch something new, we're not even sending out samples. They're like, we, we just want to buy it. We trust you guys. We know that you guys are, are on the forefront of what innovation looks like in the space. Um, so it is, it's, I mean, it's a difficult market where differentiating yourself is, is a hard thing, but it really does come down to being innovative on the actual formula standpoint and then coupling it with packaging that, um, you know, a consumer can, can really vibe with. How important is distribution? There's, there's a lot of athletes coming out with brands and they get into a few stores and then they don't move any, any product at all. I, my opinion is that it boils down to distribution and then the fact that nobody really cares about athletes or rappers or anybody. Um, it's, it's price and convenience. Those are the typical traditional ways that people go. They see a brand that resonates with them. And if it, the price is right and it's convenient to buy, bam, you go and buy it. It's really hard to make that connection though with cannabis because you need the ability to use ailments and you can't do that. The FDA is really kind of tight on that. So for, for a brand to really connect and really resonate with folks is kind of hard right now. Um, and so I guess two prong, I always ask like multiple questions, um, is, is branding really important for you or is distribution? What are you doing on both sides to have first mover advantages? Yeah. I mean, distribution is the currency in this space. It's the most important thing. You can create a, a, a beautiful brand. You can create a super effective product, but if you don't have distribution, you don't have anything. Um, and that's something for us that just took time. You know, there's a lot of people that have asked me, like, how did you get the distribution that you have? Like, how do I get that? And it, it takes years, you know, it just, I, I would sit, it took me three years before I got into our first big distributor. And I would go down there every week, even though they didn't buy. And I would talk to the guys that are fulfilling orders and I would watch the pallets coming in and what's moving and why it's moving and how it's priced. Even if it was a, a product that was in a different category just to really understand like what resonates with consumers and why does some products move, you know, one case and other products move 10 pallets. And it was just a lot of years of really learning that and then establishing relationships directly with these distributors to say, okay, like, what are your thoughts on this and getting that feedback. And every quarter we dial in our products and it's, it's like, how do we continue to, to do better? And, a lot of, you know, there's a lot of companies that have some success and then, you know, they sit on their morals and they're like, this is going to move forever. Like we're not selling ketchup, you know, it, it, people want something new. They want something different. They want to see um, like the attention span of a consumer in this mar market is that of like a gnat, you know, so you can have something that's great and hot for a month. And it's like, what are you following it up with? So it's really important for us to keep our, our new product pipeline filled and then to adapt to where compliances, state compliances, um, price points are, you know, there's a lot of moving parts to, to stay relevant through distribution. And you have to con consistently and continually recreate yourself. 
You mentioned it's a difficult time right now to raise capital, not for not just you specifically, but like literally everybody. I think the exception is financial tech companies because everyone wants to invest in technology uh, during a first bear market in over a decade. So mm-hmm. outside of that sector, I think everyone is on the sidelines um, waiting to see what happens and not really wanting to jump in and invest. Pot stocks, you know, cannabis, hemp, whatever, have always been challenging. It's been a lot of, um, I would say, stupid money. And that, what I mean by that is individuals that don't really bring anything other than the money with them. There's very little synergistic qualities that they can help propel a company. And so with that, you have a lot of speculation, just random individuals getting into the game, creating noise. And so a lot of these stocks are just moving in momentum of the news in, rather than independently of their own fundamentals or, or um, yeah, basically it's all technical uh, or, or news driven. Um, where do you feel like your stock price should be right now? I know you, you can't really sell a whole lot with compliance, but your stock is probably not moving independently rather than in tandem with the news. When do you expect that to change and where, where do you feel it should be at? Um, you know, I don't, I don't know where it should be at, but I, I don't think it's a good reflection of the value of our company. I'll, I'll, I'll put it that way. I think it's super important for us to get on an exchange um, and, and be able to get that analyst coverage and, and bring more exposure. Uh, it's an interesting paradigm where you have an operating company and a brand that has so much exposure, that has so many people um, that know about it, that have bought into it, that believe it. And then the public company that just doesn't have that exposure yet. So there's a little bit of a disconnect. Um, but I think we're doing all the right things. And if we continue to do that, the stock will properly reflect the value of the company. So uh, our, our goal is to, to get on a bigger exchange in the near future uh, to help bring that exposure to, to the actual marketplace. For anybody that's on the sidelines or any skeptical investors that want to do some more research, you guys are on OTC under the ticker symbol LIFD for Lifted Made. Uh, are you guys on social media? Or you have a website anywhere else that people can find you at? Yeah, liftedmade.com. And then all of our show, social handles are on there as well. Okay. All right. So I think with that, we're going to have to roll this one up. So I want to thank my guest, Nick Warrender. He's the founder of Lifted Made, again, available on OTC under LIFD. Nick, thanks again for being with us at The Talking Hedge. Thanks, Josh. It was a pleasure. I appreciate it. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey friends, I'm Brandon and I'm Saba and we are your host of the Cannabis Hangout podcast, an educational platform to connect with the cannabis community and share personal stories while breaking the stigma of marijuana. Join us every Sunday at 7 p.m. to gain valuable insight with different perspectives from industry leaders, growers, and medical marijuana patients. This is a place to learn so much from different angles in the cannabis industry. So tune in while we break it all down.